Chapter Thirteen of Audrey Craven by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Thirteen. August was a miserable month for Catherine in the hot attic, hard at work on her own pictures, and too often finishing the various orders for black and white which Knowles had, after all, managed to put in Ted's way. She could have stood the hard work if she had not been more than ever worried on Ted's account. With her feminine instincts sharpened by affection, she foresaw trouble at hand, complications which it would never have entered into the boy's head to consider. For reasons of her own, Audrey was still keeping her engagement a secret. She was less regular, too, in making appointments, fixing days for Ted to go over and see her and more often than not he missed her if he happened to call at Chelsea Gardens of his own accord. At the same time she came to Devon Street as often as, or oftener than, ever, and there her manner to Ted had all its old charm, with something added. It was more deeply, more seriously affectionate than before. Yet it was just in these tender passages that Catherine detected the change of key. That tenderness was not remorse, as she might have supposed, it had nothing to do with the past being purely an emotion of the passing moment audrey was playing a new part her mind was swayed by a fresh current of ideas it had suffered the invasion of a foreign personality the evidence for this was purely psychological but it all pointed one way a sudden display of new interests a startling phrase a word hitherto unknown in audrey's vocabulary her way of handling a book the alternate excitement and preoccupation of her manner, they were all unmistakable. Catherine had noticed the same signs in the days of Audrey's first absorption in Ted. She had caught his tricks, his idioms, his way of thinking. She had even begun to see, like Ted, the humour of things and to make reckless speeches, not quite like Ted, that shocked Cousin Bella's sense of propriety. Catherine had smiled at her innocent plagiarism, and wondered at the transforming power of love and now audrey was actually undergoing another metempsychosis under whose influence here again catherine's instinct was correct it was wyndham's presence that in three weeks had brought about the change yes in that impressive affection in the pleading tremor of her voice in her smiles and caresses audrey was acting a part before one invisible spectator she played as if Wyndham were standing by and looking on. Her love for Ted had been a reality. Therefore it served as a standard to measure all emotions by. It made this new passion of the imagination a thing of flesh and blood. No wonder that she would not announce her engagement. At the best of times her fluent nature shrank from everything that was fixed and irrevocable. Above all from the act of will that trammeled her wandering fancy, the finality that limited her outlook upon life and now it was impossible the three weeks in which she had known wyndham had shown her that compared with that complex character that finished intellect ted was indeed little better than a baby not that she could have done without ted far from it as yet wyndham was still the unknown shadowy far-off and unapproachable the touch of ted's hand seemed to make him living to bring him nearer to her ted still stood between her and the void where there is no more revelation, no hope, no love, and Hardy would be in London in another week. Catherine had not guessed all the truth, any more than Audrey had herself, but she had guessed enough to make her extremely anxious. Audrey was not the wife she could have wished for Ted. 
she disapproved of his marriage with her as a certain hindrance to his career but above all she dreaded for him the agony of disappointment which must follow if audrey gave him up she had no very clear idea of what it would mean to him but judging his nature by what she had seen of it she feared some shock either to his moral system or to his artistic powers she longed to speak to him about it but ted and she were not accustomed to handling their emotions and of late they had avoided all personal questions not susceptible of humorous treatment after this persistent choosing of the shallows she shrank from a sudden plunge into the depths she felt strongly and with her strong feeling was a bar to utterance at last an incident occurred which laid the subject open to frivolous discussion catherine was painting one afternoon and ted was leaning out of the window which looked southwest to chelsea his thoughts travelling in a bee-line towards the little brown house suddenly he drew his head in with an exclamation uncle james by jove he'll be upon us in another minute i'm off and he made a rush for his bedroom catherine had only time to wipe the paint from her brush to throw a tablecloth over the apollo and a mackintosh over the divine shoulders of the venus mr piggott was a purist in art and Catherine respected his prejudices, when her uncle arrived, panting and inarticulate. Well, uncle, this is a surprise. How are you? Oh, no better for climbing up that precipice of yours. What on earth possessed you to come to this out-of-the-way hole? It's a good room for painting, you see. What's that? Couldn't you find a good room in West Kensington, instead of planting yourself up here away from us all? This was a standing grievance, as Catherine knew well you see it's nicer here by the river and it's cheaper too and how's aunt kate your aunt kate has got a sty in her eye dear me i'm very sorry to hear it and you uncle poorly very poorly i ought not to have got out of my bed to-day one of my old attacks my liver's never been the same since i caught that bad chill at your father's funeral uncle james looked at katherine severely as if she had been to blame for the calamity his feeling was natural one way or another, the Havilands had been the cause of calamity in the family ever since they came into it. Family worship and the worship of the family were different but equally indispensable forms of the one true religion. The stigma of schism, if not of atheism, attached to the Havilands in departing from the old traditions and forming a little sect by themselves. Mr. Piggott meant well by them. At any time he would have helped them substantially in such a manner as he thought fit but one and all the Havilands had refused to be benefited in any way but their own their own way in the piggott's opinion being invariably a foolish one between you and me sir they hadn't a sound business head among them as for ted and katherine before the day when he had washed his hands of ted in the office lavatory uncle james had tried to play the part of an overruling providence in their affairs and the young infidels had signified their utter disbelief in him since then he had ceased to interfere with his creatures and latterly his finger was only to be seen at times of marked crisis or disturbance as in the arrangements for a marriage or a funeral an astounding piece of news had come to his ears which was the reason of his present visitation he hastened to the business in hand what's this that i hear about ted eh i don't know said katherine blushing violently i'm told that he's taken up with some woman nobody knows who and that they're seen everywhere together who told you this your cousin nettie she's seen them constantly in the national gallery and the british museum 
carrying on all the time they're pretending to look at those heathen gods and goddesses Catherine glanced nervously round the studio they actually make assinations they meet on the steps of public places nettie has noticed her hanging about waiting for him and some young friends of hers saw them dining together alone at the star and garter now what's the meaning of all this Catherine was too much amused to answer yet she wanted to see what her uncle would say next he shook his head solemnly i knew what it would be when you two had it all your own way as for you Catherine, you took a very grave responsibility on your shoulders when you persuaded your young brother to live with you here in this neighbourhood away from all your relations your influence has been for anything but good my dear uncle you are so funny but you're mistaken i know miss craven the lady you mean perfectly well she and ted are great friends and it's all right i assure you do you mean to tell me he is engaged to this young lady he goes about with Catherine hesitated if she had felt inclined to gratify a curiosity which she considered impertinent she was not at liberty to betray their secret i can't tell you that for i'm not supposed to know let me tell you then that it looks bad very bad to begin with your cousin nettie strongly disapproves of the young woman's appearance so loud and overdressed evidently got up to attract but it lies in a nutshell if he's not engaged to her why is he seen everywhere with her if he is engaged to her and she's a respectable woman i say if she's respectable why doesn't he introduce her to his family why doesn't he ask your aunt kate to call on her well you see supposing they are engaged they wouldn't go and proclaim it all at once and in any case that would depend more on miss craven than ted i can't tell you any more than i have done and i'd be greatly obliged if you wouldn't allow ted's affairs to be gossiped about by cousin nettie or anybody else she was relieved for the moment by the entrance of mrs rogers with the tea-tray tea uncle no thank you none of your cat-lap i must see ted himself where is he i'm not sure but i think he's gone out mrs rogers looked up from her tray pleased to give valuable information mr haviland is in his bedroom m'm. i heard him as i come up oh i'll go and tell him then she found ted dressing himself carefully before calling on audrey she wasted five minutes in trying to persuade him to see his uncle ted was firm give him my very kindest regards and tell him a pressing engagement alone prevents my waiting on him with that he ran merrily downstairs his feet carried him very swiftly towards audrey Catherine gave the message with some modifications and mr pigott seeing that no good was to be gained by staying took his leave ted came back sooner than his sister had expected he smiled faintly at the absurd appearance of the venus in her mackintosh but he was evidently depressed he looked mournfully at the tea-table i'm afraid the tea's poisoned ted and it's cold it doesn't matter i don't want any had tea at audrey's no he strode impatiently to the table and took up one of the illustrations Catherine had been working at what's up said she oh uh for one thing i've heard from the editor of the sunday illustrated he's in a beastly bad temper and says my last batch of illustrations isn't funny enough the old duffer's bringing out a religious serial and he must have humour to make it go down Catherine was relieved to divert him she told him the family's opinion as to his relations with audrey that raised his spirits so far that he called his uncle a fantastic old gander and his cousin nettie an evil-minded little beast after all ted said Catherine judicially 
Why does Audrey go on making a mystery of your engagement? I don't know, and I don't care, said Ted, savagely. Surely it was not in the power of that harmless person, the editor of the Sunday Illustrated, to move him so? Something must have happened. What had happened was this. As Ted was going into the little brown house at Chelsea, he had met Mr. Langley Wyndham coming out of it, and for the first time in his life he had found Audrey in a bad temper. She was annoyed in the first place because the novelist had been unable to stay to tea. She had provided a chocolate cake on purpose, the eminent man having once approved of that delicacy. It was a pretty way, Audrey had, this remembering the likings of her friends. She was also annoyed because Ted's coming had followed so immediately on Wyndham's going. It was her habit now, whenever she had seen Wyndham, to pass from the reality of his presence into a reverie which revived the sense of it, and Ted's arrival had interfered with this pastime. The first thing the boy did, too, was to wound her tenderest susceptibilities. He began playing with the books that lay beside her. What a literary cat it is! She frowned and drew in her breath quickly, as if in pain. He went on turning over the pages. It was Wyndham's London Legends, with irreverent fingers. I should very much like to know, said Audrey to Ted, and stopped short. What would you very much like to know, Puss? What you saw in me to begin with. I haven't the remotest idea, unless it was your intellect. I should also like to know, said Audrey to the teapot, why people fall in love. The taste is either natural or acquired. Some take to it because they like it. Some are driven to it by a hereditary tendency or an unhappy home. I do it myself to drown care. Will you have any tea? asked Audrey sternly. No, thank you. I won't. She laughed as she might have laughed at a greedy child for revenging on its stomach the injury done to its heart. Poor Ted. He was fond of chocolate cake, too. She would have given anything at that moment if she could have provoked him into quarrelling with her. Instead of quarrelling, he stroked her beautiful hair as if she had been some soft but irritable animal. He said he was sure her dear little head was aching because she was so bad-tempered. He implored her not to eat too much cake and promised to call again another day when he hoped to find her better. So he left her and went home with a dead weight at his heart. Towards evening, his misery became so acute that he could no longer keep it to himself. They were on the leads in the long August twilight, Catherine sitting with her back against the tall chimney, watching the reflection of the sunset in the east, the boy lying at her feet, with his heels in the air and his head in the nasturtiums. The time, the place, the attitude were all favourable to confidences, and Ted wound up his by asking Catherine what she thought of Audrey. Now was the moment to rid herself of the burden that weighed on her. Ted might never be in so favourable a mood again. She spoke very gently. Ted, I am going to hurt your feelings. I don't quite know how to tell you what I think of her. She's not good enough for you to begin with. Oh, I know she's not intelligent. She can't help that. And she's not affectionate. Oh, Ted, forgive me. But she doesn't love you. She can't. It's not in her. She loves no one but herself. She is a little selfish, but she can't help that either. It makes no difference. So I fear. And then she's years older than you are. And you can't marry for ages. Don't you see how impossible it all is? Her voice thrilled with her longing to impress him with her own conviction. His passion was wrestling with a ghastly doubt, but it was of the kind that dies hard. Of course it's quite impossible now. 
neither he nor katherine considered the question of audrey's money they had never thought of it but as she said herself in five years time when she's thirty and i'm twenty-five the difference in our ages won't be so marked it will be as marked as ever even if your intellect grows at its present rate of development i've admitted that she's a little deficient in parts and as you justly observe stupidity like death is levelling we should suit each other exactly in time ah if you can see that why oh why did you fall in love with her she asked me that this afternoon i said it was because she was so clever it was because i was a fool stupidity came upon me like a madness i wish to heaven i'd never done it it's play the devil with my chances i was sitting calmly on the high road to success with my camp-stool and my little portable easel not interfering in the least with the traffic when she came along like a steam-roller knocked me down crushed me and rolled me out flat i shall never recover my natural shape and as for the camp-stool and the portable easel these things are an allegory but i love her all the same katherine laughed in spite of herself but she understood the allegory would he ever recover his natural shape to that end she was determined to make him face the worst ted what would you do supposing only supposing she were to fling you over for for someone else i should blow my brains out if i had any left verdict suicide while in a state of temporary insanity suicide of a genius that would be a fine feather in audrey's cap she always had exquisite taste in dress besides she's welcome to it or to any little trifle of the kind it was useless attempting to make any impression on him she gave it up ted however was so charmed with the idea of suicide that he spent the rest of the evening discussing ways and means he was not going to blow his brains out or to take poison in his bedroom or do anything disagreeable that would depreciate mrs rogers property on the whole drowning was the cheapest and would suit him best if he could summon up spirits for it only he didn't want to spoil the river for her it must be somewhere below london bridge say wapping old stairs here katherine suggested that he had better go to bed he went and lay awake all night in a half fever when katherine went into his room the next morning ten o'clock had struck and there was no appearance of ted she found him lying in a deep sleep one arm was flung outside the counterpane the hand had closed on a crumpled sheet of paper it was audrey's last note of invitation the baby had taken it to bed with him poor boy poor poor ted but for all her sympathy love the stupidity that comes on you like a madness was a thing incomprehensible to katherine end of chapter thirteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine